Hello and welcome to the reading of the business record for Friday, May 20th, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. This week's cover story, Hundreds of Des Moines Properties Aided by Invest DSM Programs by Kathy A. Bolton. A few weeks after Melissa Nuchenthavong and her husband bought their first house, they discovered problems with its foundation, including a wall that was nearing collapse. We needed a basement gutter system and braces throughout the whole basement to level out the floor, said Nuchanthavong, who, with husband Leon Paris, bought the more than 110-year-old house in the Columbus Park neighborhood in January 2021. If we didn't find the problem when we did, we had the risk of our basement wall collapsing, she said. The repairs cost more than $36,000, she said. A program through Invest DSM, a nonprofit corporation that oversees efforts to re- revitalize Des Moines neighborhoods, nearly cut in half the couple's out of pocket costs. Without Invest DSM's homeowner renovation program, Nuchantha Vong said the couple likely would not have been able to afford to pay for a complete basement rehabilitation, a delay that could have resulted in walls collapsing. Started in mid-2019, Invest DSM is a joint effort between the City of Des Moines and Polk County to expand revitalization efforts in the city's neighborhoods. The venture was launched after a study showed that 22 of Des Moines' 52 neighborhoods had a higher percentage of, quote, slipping or bad, end quote, houses than, quote, good or excellent ones. The Des Moines City Council selected four neighborhoods, Columbus Park, Drake, Franklin, and Highland Park Oak Park, in which to begin a concentrated effort to renovate residential and commercial properties. We're really trying to empower and enable residents, business owners, and property owners to improve their property in a way that gives them a return on their investment down the road, said Amber Lynch, Executive Director of Invest DSM, which has offices at 525 Southwest 5th Street. It was a big undertaking to launch the programs and to get property owners interested in taking part in them, she said. Earlier this year, the Des Moines City Council voted to commit $5 million annually to invest DSM for the next five years. Polk County is committed to contribute $5 million this fiscal year and in the fiscal year that ends June 31, 2023. Since its inception, Invest DSM has started five programs. Block Challenge Grants, which in 2021 had 217 participants and an investment of $580,000 by Invest DSM. The Home Ownership Renovation Program, which began in August 2020. According to the nonprofit's annual report, 68 projects have been completed through the renovation program, an investment of over $1.8 million. Another 150 projects are underway. The Single Family Developer Program, which in 2021 saw the completion of three projects. 
The program provides money to cover financial gaps between renovation costs and end sale prices of upgraded properties. Invest DSM provided $195,600 to the three projects. The Rental Rehab Program, which started in late 2021. The program helps landlords with major capital improvements. And the Commercial Grant Program, which in 2021 saw three projects completed, including the renovation of a building at 3610 6th Avenue that is home to Chuck's Restaurant. Invest DSM provided $613,273 to the three projects. One commercial project receiving financial assistance from Invest DSM is the renovation of a single-story building at 3523 6th Avenue in Highland Park. The building, constructed in 1929, has had numerous tenants over the years, including a bank, a jewelry store, and a barber shop. It is being renovated to include six commercial bays, three of which have been leased. If we hadn't gotten the forgivable and low-interest loans from Invest DSM, we wouldn't have been able to do the project, developer Joe Cordero said. The cost to renovate a historic building in Highland Park is no different than if it was located two miles south in downtown or in the East Village. But in the East Village, retail property is leasing for $28 to $32 a square foot. I can't ask for that in Highland Park. But because of the loans, we can provide a finished product at a very high standard of fitness and still bring tenants into a transitioning neighborhood, he said. When upgrades are made on a property in a commercial district, other improvements tend to occur on nearby parcels, said Connie Boson, a Des Moines councilwoman. Examples can be found in commercial districts in both Highland Park and Drake neighborhoods, she said. Storefronts have been refreshed in an area along the east side of 6th Avenue, north of Euclid Avenue. Across the street, the building in which Chuck's is located received about $1.4 million in improvements, including the replacement of an aged roof, upgraded plumbing, and the installation of new ceilings and floors. A one-story structure at 3720 6th Avenue was refurbished, and the building at 413 Euclid Avenue that once was home to French Way Cleaners is being renovated. When residential areas start being upgraded, then businesses want to be near them. So then you start to see commercial buildings getting improved, Boson said. There's a ripple effect that occurs. We're starting to see private investors come in and ask, how can we be a part of this? In the Drake neighborhood, investments are being made in structures along University Avenue and 24th Street. Among them are the $5 million rehabilitation of the Varsity Cinema, which received a grant from Invest DSM. In addition, cosmetic upgrades are occurring on the mixed-use property at 2300 University Avenue. Around the corner, upgrades are being made to the mechanical system at the fire station-turned-office building at 1163 24th Street. To the south at 1159 24th Street, where the entertainment venue XBK is located, 
A door is being installed in the building that will open to a patio area. We're making headway in a lot of these neighborhoods, Lynch said. Invest DSM was created after a survey of Des Moines housing stock showed that a growing number of residences were slipping into disrepair. Another survey will be conducted this summer, Lynch said. Property conditions played a large role in determining what neighborhoods to launch the first round of revitalization programs and will likely be a determining factor again, Lynch said. Where do we see that deferred maintenance creeping in but hasn't gotten out of hand yet and isn't outpacing the properties that are still in either average or good condition? We'll also be looking for where we have assets in the community. When we selected Oak Park Highland Park, investment was happening in the Riverview Amphitheater, she said. A decision on what neighborhoods to expand Invest DSM's programs into will likely occur by the end of the year, Lynch said. Property owners who live in a neighborhood selected to take part in Invest DSM's programs should take advantage of them, said homeowners Jared and Liliana Bernstein, who live along Rutland Avenue near Drake University, where both are employed. Invest DSM's block grant program has likely had the biggest impact on the neighborhood, they said. When the couple moved into their century-old house about eight years ago, they noticed neighboring houses were showing signs of their age. There were some houses that were starting to get improvements made to them, but the pace was slow, Jared Bernstein said. The money Invest DSM has poured into our neighborhood has really put that on steroids. The Bernsteins have participated in two block challenge grants and the Home Ownership Renovation Program. The programs helped pay for repainting the exterior of their house, replacing front steps to their porch, and converting a room in the house into a nursery. Neighbor neighboring houses have undergone similar improvements, Liliana Bernstein said. Young people who moved into the neighborhood when we did are staying because they can afford to make these improvements, she said. Instead of moving to the suburbs when they start having kids, they are staying in Des Moines because this is where they want to live and raise their families. By the numbers. The following is from Invest DSM's annual report for 2021. 283. Number of projects completed. 165. Number of residential projects in progress. $1.69 million, the amount invested into the Columbus Park, Drake, Franklin, and Highland Park, Oak Park neighborhoods, and $5.93 million, the amount of private investment leveraged. From this week's Fearless column, Six Takeaways from Our Conversation on Women in Leadership by Emily Kestel. Representation and inclusion of all women in leadership positions continues to be an issue that businesses and organizations are dealing with. In our first Fearless Focus event of the year on April 28th, we spoke with five women across the state about the personal and systemic barriers that women leaders continue to face and what can be done to address them. The panelists were Yvette Creighton, Senior Management Talent, Inclusion, and Diversity, Transamerica. 
Amy Christophe Brown, Dean, Tippy College of Business, University of Iowa. Tiffany O'Donnell, CEO, Women Lead Change. Dawn Martinez Oropesa, Executive Director, Al Exico. Exito. And Kelly Winfrey, Director of Graduate Education and Assistant Professor at the Greenlee School of Journalism and Communication, Iowa State University. Here are takeaways and pieces of advice from our conversation. It's okay to not be all things to all people. Many of the panelists identified the pressure to be, a, to be perfect as a consistent barrier for all women leaders, those who work in professional fields and those who are stay-at-home moms. Women want to be all things to all people, and we have guilt that goes along with not being perfect, Christoph Brown said. Realize that it is okay to ask for help, and it's okay to not be perfect. It's also okay to outsource help and minimize unnecessary responsibilities, panelists said. That could look like picking up cupcakes at the store for the preschool party instead of making them yourself. Sending your daughters to a salon instead of doing their hair yourself. Or hiring a cleaning service to come every few weeks. Saying no is something that women should feel comfortable doing, Winfrey added. It's okay to say no, to delegate, and to not feel guilty about doing so, she said. A lot of us struggle with it by the nature of us being leaders or being active in our community. We're hand raisers, so we want to do a lot of things. But recognizing our own capacity is necessary for our mental health. Know your worth and ask for what you need. I think oftentimes as women and women of color, we undervalue ourselves. We cut ourselves short a lot, Creighton said. Women often don't ask for what they deserve and need out of fear that they'll come off as being demanding or ungrateful. O'Donnell said she's optimistic that companies are more open now than ever to offer support. We need to advocate for what works best for us, whether it be flexibility, childcare support. Ask for what you want and need, because at the end of the day, leaders don't know what they don't know. Surround yourself with people who support you. Who you choose to spend time with is one of the most important decisions you can make. The right people can build a strong support system, and the wrong people can tear it down, panelists said. Choose your friends and your partners wisely, Christoph Brown said. Surround yourself with people that don't make you feel guilty about the choices you make. O'Donnell said she often reminds people that when picking a partner, if you choose a schmuck, I can't help you. Panelists also said it's important for partners to share responsibilities equally and raise kids with the expectation of being equal partners. It's not just women who need flexible schedules for daycare, Winfrey said. I need my husband to be able to take our son to the doctor, not just me having a schedule that allows for that. I can't be the one that's always there. Women need daycare, but all of us do. Creighton said she makes a point to remind her daughters that she and her husband are a team, and she's not responsible for every little detail of their lives. 
They all have to play a part in being a part of Team Creighton, she said. Representation matters. Seeing someone who looks like you in a position of power or influence has a tremendous impact on confidence. In order to create a paradigm shift, our young people have to see it to believe it, O'Donnell said. Martinez Oropesa spoke of the difficulties that Latino youths face when they don't see themselves in education curriculums or see people who look like them in higher education. It's important for students of color to have the support, recognition, and acknowledgement of their histories, cultures, and traditions from people who look like them so they can move forward, she said. Panelists also encouraged people to educate themselves on the challenges that those from underrepresented backgrounds face. Be intentional about reaching out to people who don't have the same backgrounds as you, O'Donnell said. We're in a much better place when different people are leading. Martinez Oropesa said it's important to get uncomfortable and make a point to invite in people who are outside of your circle of influence. Recognize the cons that flexible work can bring. Certainly, flexible work has been a tremendous benefit for working women. Doing so gives them autonomy over how, when, and where you work, and thus leads to meaningful, engaged work, Christoph Brown said. On the other hand, however, a lack of boundaries that protect when you do your work can quickly lead to burnout. Leaders have a responsibility to understand that the ways they choose to work have implications on others, she said. If I'm working at 10 p.m., I need to know that as the dean, I can't send an email then because some people will feel compelled to respond to it. So it's learning how to change the way I'm working to make other people feel like they can set the boundaries they need and encourage them to do so, Christoph Brown said. Furthermore, team leaders should re-examine how they measure performance and conduct review processes. Visibility matters when it comes to projects and promotions, O'Donnell said. The last thing we want to do is see the number of women in leadership fall just because we're not in the room. Support can come in the form of a quick text or pep talk. Telling somebody when they did a great job and recognizing their contributions makes a huge difference, Martinez Oropesa and Winfrey said. You could also take it one step further by helping people realize how smart they are and reminding them that they're awesome and they can, indu- they can indeed do things, Winfrey said. It's also important for women who have influence in their community or workplace to recognize that they have the power to help younger women thrive, Christoph Brown said. Younger women don't have to go through the same challenges that you went through. Give them advice and say, here are some pitfalls that you can avoid. This week's feature story from the Culture column, Eight Takeaways from Our Power Breakfast on Corporate Responsibility. From inclusion to sustainability to political influence, businesses today are expected to focus on much more than profits. Our corporate social responsibility discussion focused on trends that are driving many consumers, recruits, and employees to look at how conscientious a business is. At the Power Breakfast on May 12th, 
we talked about what goes into the decision to speak up or get involved with issues that may not directly be tied to an organization's line of work. This story recaps what the speakers told us they think the business community should be aware of. Panelists included Scott Johnson, Tomey Professor in Business and Interim Associate Dean for Research, Iowa State University, Ivy College of Business. Tanner Krauss, CEO of Come and Go. Joe Christine Miles, Director, Principal Foundation and Community Relations. And Eileen Wickstead, Principal at Wickstead and Company. This story has contributions from several business record writers, Kathy A. Bolton, Emily Kestel, Joe Gardias, Sarah Bogards, and Emily Barsky. The eight takeaways. Focus on the common good and not good versus evil. Johnson started the discussion talking about how the ability to talk about the common good has been lost. We've devolved into talking about who's good and who's evil, and that's a different conversation than what the common good is, he said. Johnson said most people believe they don't think in these terms. However, he challenged that assumption. When we start making attributions about what the other person's intent or character are, and when we start having this feeling like, I know what's really going on, the other side doesn't really know what's going on, both of those things start to get us into this conversation of who's good and who's evil. Keep several stakeholders in mind when making a decision. Regardless of the size of a business or organization, Wickstead recommends people use the PEAR model, P-E-A-R model, when making a decision. PEAR stands for People, Environment, Assets, and reputation. We always go through this filter of, is it important to our people? Is it important to our assets? Is it important to the environment? And is it important to our reputation? She said. Notice it's pair and not reap, she added, emphasizing the importance of a decision on people before reputation. The impact of a decision on the employees or associates within a company was a central theme throughout the conversation and was rounded out with an audience question about where the opinions of investors and shareholders fall in the hierarchy of priority when making said decisions. Do the investors come first or do the customers or associates come first? Johnson thinks that's the wrong way to look at it. I think the question is how to explain to your investors why your associates are important and how to explain to your employees why the investors are important. The company doesn't work without all of those, and they need to understand that all of those things have to be prioritized at different times. If you're not focusing on equity, what aren't you addressing? Renee Hardman, who this year is transitioning from her role as CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Iowa to become the first Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for Broadlawns Medical Center, as well as its Vice President of Human Resources, noted that many organizations are at different stages in addressing equity as one of the three elements of diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
She asked the panelist, how does equity play out in the work they do and with their companies as social responsibility? Miles said that Principal has created processes for monitoring DEI that have evolved over time. As we know, having diversity doesn't mean you have inclusion. And when you have inclusion, it doesn't mean you have equitable outcomes, she said. So we have regular reviews with various indicators like pay differences. We're monitoring hiring. We're monitoring who's making the hiring decisions or who's able to weigh in on those decisions. And as you change those things internally, you have the proof points. So if you are ever asked to speak on those issues, we can say, look, we've done this ourselves. We aren't just pointing a finger at the outside world, she said. Krauss, who is a tri-chair of the DSM USA for Equity Collective with Hardmond and Marta Codina, said organizations that aren't addressing equity should ask themselves, what are they tolerating? I would say, think about the opposite of equity, inequity. What does it say if you're part of an organization and you're not addressing equity and you're living with the organization paying someone different because that person is a female, because that person is not white, or because that person didn't go to college and not because that person is less of a performer? DSM USA for Equity Collective, launched in January, has brought together a range of community stakeholders to develop tools, plans, and goals for building more equitable practices across businesses and communities. Krauss said the collective has surveyed nearly 200 Central Iowa organizations to collect data on their equity practices and outcomes and will be publishing a data report in the third quarter. Ask unexpected questions to gain insight. Asking unexpected questions is a good way to better understand what issues are truly most important to nonprofit organizations that are seeking support, Principals Miles said. One of the questions she poses, What do you think it would take for you to go out of business? Their answer to the question often provides a deeper understanding of how the nonprofit frames the issue, such as who they consider their allies or detractors on the issue. Another unexpected question she asks, who would you most want to partner with or merge with? Untethered gifts to nonprofit groups lift restrictions. Krauss received applause for his response to a question from the audience about how to encourage more companies to eliminate restrictions on the use of grant money. Both the Principal Foundation and Come and Go allow grants to be used to pay for operating and staffing costs. While Krauss didn't provide specific ways to encourage more businesses to provide grants that are unrestricted, he did explain why Come and Go doesn't restrict how grants can be used. Look at the cost increases it's taken to run any organization in the last two years. Materials, supplies, labor, all of these things have increased by double digits in the span of months. Nonprofits don't have a product that they can raise prices on to offset those costs. Businesses have to be the ones that offset those costs. We have to give at a level that helps nonprofits continue to provide services, he said.
Listening is important. One audience member shared an observation about listening leading to judgment more than to understanding of another person's perspective. Krauss said that conducting many things virtually during the pandemic has contributed to the division and polarization and a loss of compassion and empathy that comes from being physically with people. He encouraged working together on topics where there is agreement. We may not always agree on everything, and that's okay. I don't agree on everything with my wife, my life partner, with my children, with my parents, with anybody. Find areas where there is common good and align on what we can accomplish together because we're stronger together. Johnson shared an anecdote about being open to discussion even when you think the other person is wrong. When Iowa State University lifted its mask requirement, he said, some professors didn't understand why students weren't wearing them in the classroom. But after asking students their reasoning, he said, it really changed the dialogue and changed the assumptions that we had about what was really going on in the classroom. It does require going in and asking a question and actually being able to go into that saying, I'm willing to be convinced that this person is not wrong. I'm actually going to listen to their explanation to try to understand how they're thinking. And it can be really powerful when you do that, he said. Focus on your internal constituents first. Wickstead said there has been a seismic shift in the last 10 years from companies focusing more on their external communications to recognizing the importance in communicating with employees first. Even though leaders feel like they're constantly communicating with employees, she said a frequent and layered approach is needed. For a number of our clients, employees are going to get any news release first before it is sent out. Whatever decisions we're going to make, we're going to tell you first, and then we're going to send it out. First and foremost, your internal constituents, I believe, are your most important because then you can convert those individuals. And that sounds really harsh, but frequently, employees then want to become advocates for where they work and what they do, she said. Be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Wickstead gave an example of two companies she worked with on communications plans in the wake of George Floyd's murder. One chose not to make a statement, and the other did make a statement. Both were criticized. She said it's important for business leaders to be comfortable with disagreement, as long as what they are choosing to do best aligns with their values. You're listening to the reading of the business record for Friday, May 20th, 2022 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. From the business records insider notebook, bits and bytes of the finer side of Iowa business. Construction began on 1.2 million square feet of industrial space in the first quarter in Des Moines by Kathy A. Bolton. Construction began on more than 1.2 million square feet of industrial space in the Des Moines area during the first quarter of 2022, a sign that demand continues to exist for warehousing. Commercial building permits, 
valued at over $94.8 million, were issued during the first quarter for five new industrial warehouse projects, a review of commercial building permits from area communities showed. Overall, the value of all new permits issued in the period between January 1st and March 31st totaled over $292.7 million, the permit data showed. There's an extremely low amount of Class A industrial space in the market right now, said Michael Anthony, project executive for Opus Group, during the Business Records' recent real estate forum. The pandemic accelerated development of warehouses on sites near heavily traveled thoroughfares, such as Interstate Highways 35 and 80, that intersect the Des Moines area. Retailers and others, in an effort to get their products closer to consumers, are snatching up warehouse space as it comes available, Anthony and others said. Currently, there's over 730,000 square feet of pre-leasing going on in this marketplace, Anthony said during the forum. A year ago, there was no pre-leasing occurring, he said. What we're seeing now is supply trying to catch up with that demand, he said. The five industrial warehouse projects that got underway in the first quarter are a 497,587-square-foot warehouse in Altoona, Van Trust Real Estate, a full-service development company headquartered in Kansas City, Missouri, is developing the 75-acre Altus Commerce Center located near Northeast 62nd and Hubble Avenues. The warehouse is the second one being built on the site. The permit value was $34.9 million. A 195,900-square-foot warehouse under construction at 1000 Commerce Crossing in Bondurant. The building is being constructed by Opus Group. The permit value was $17.6 million. A 212,000-square-foot warehouse at 10300 North Park Drive in Urbandale. The warehouse, being constructed with precast concrete panels, will have a total of 224 parking spaces, including 54 for trucks, a city document shows. The industrial building is part of Centerpoint Business Park and R&R Realty Group development. The permit value was $17 million. A 200,500-square-foot warehouse at 5950 Southeast Delaware Drive in Ankeny. The warehouse, composed of taupe precast panels, includes 15 dock doors. Ryan Company's U.S. Inc. is developing the project. The permit value was $14.1 million. A 157,500-square-foot warehouse at 6910 Southeast 4-Mile Drive in Ankeny. The speculative warehouse will include 15 bays, 26 dock doors, and 32-foot clear-height ceilings. The project is the first phase of Hubble Realty Company's 4-Mile Distribution Center. The new warehouse is the third Hubble has built in Ankeny. Two others are located in Crosswinds Business Park. The permit value was $11 million. The overarching success and interest we've seen from our former industrial warehouses at Crosswinds makes Four Mile Distribution Center a very viable development for our team, 
Chris Sadoris, Hubble's Vice President of Development, said in a prepared statement, We continue to see heavy investment interest from our local, regional, and national contacts to see projects like this through to the next phase, and we believe Four Mile will be another successful project, he said. Nationally, the vacancy rate for industrial space was 3.1%, according to CBRE's first quarter market report. And while there is a large amount of space under construction, The report said, strong demand for first and second generation space is expected to keep availability historically low this year. The industrial vacancy rate in the Des Moines market was 2.5%, according to JLL Inc.'s first quarter report. Asking rents increased 43 cents per square foot from 2021's fourth quarter, according to the report. It said, The low vacancy, coupled with increasing construction costs, continued to push asking rents upward. The report predicted that industrial activity will continue to be strong in Ankeny, Altoona, Bondurant, and Grimes, and that development activity will likely expand to areas near Iowa Highway 5 and U.S. Highway 65. Interest in the overall Des Moines market remains high from both in-market and out-of-market developers looking for industrial land parcels, according to the report. United Way of Central Iowa releases community report, presents Live United Awards by Michael Crum. Central Iowa is facing significant needs from access to quality, affordable childcare to reduced third-grade reading proficiency scores, according to the United Way of Central Iowa's 2022 Community Report, released during the Live United celebration on May 9th. The United Way of Central Iowa also recognized 20 organizations and three individuals with Live United Awards, and named its 2022 Spirit of Central Iowa Award winner during the celebration at the Meadows Events and Conference Center. Mary Sellers, the organization's president, said while the community is experiencing significant need and some instability, the United Way and the community have a 105-year history of coming together to overcome those challenges. We have been here before, Sellers said. From the Great Depression, through wars and natural disasters, United Way of Central Iowa has been here to help Central Iowans stand strong amid crisis, uniting people across our community to navigate challenges together through hard work, exceptional generosity, and a spirit of collaboration. Our path forward is built with hope, courage, and determination. Sellers said the organization's United to Thrive strategies, unveiled last year, provide a path forward to help Central Iowans thrive. That includes addressing the five elements that United Way officials say are needed for a thriving community. They are essential needs, early childhood success, education success, economic opportunity, and health and well-being. The United to Thrive strategies build on growth and progress of the past decade, which was focused more on meeting residents' foundational needs, 
Progress will be measured through multiple community metrics. Officials say each of the strategies emphasizes equity and eliminating, eliminating barriers to opportunities for Iowans to thrive. Highlights from the community report include one in four central Iowa households are, quote, housing burdened, which means spending at least 30% of their income on housing. There are 30% fewer child care providers in central Iowa than there were five years ago. 4.5% of central Iowans who have jobs are living in extreme poverty, an annual household income of $27,750 or less for a family of four. Third grade reading proficiency scores in central Iowa have dropped 23% in the past two years. 24% of Iowa teens contemplated suicide last year. During the celebration, Athene received the Spirit of Central Iowa Award for its efforts to increase giving and volunteering by its employees. It was the second consecutive year that Athene won the award. According to the United Way of Central Iowa, Athene's corporate and employee giving increased 27.8% to more than $1.56 million, and employees volunteered more than 5,000 hours last year. Athene was also recognized for its continued focus on advocating for education to help students in Des Moines schools succeed. Individuals and organizations that received Live United Awards, Molly Vermolm, received the Game Changer Award for Strong Leadership during Shazam's 2021 United Way campaign. Mira Youssef received the Impact Maker Award for advocacy extending beyond gender-based violence in the Asian and Pacific Islander communities. Sedona Trojezic received the Hand Raiser Award for volunteer work to help Afghan refugees. NCMIC, FNG, and Krauss Group received the Game Changer Award. Beckley Automotive Repair, Shazam, and Principal received the Impact Maker Award. McGill Jungie Wealth Management, ITA Group, and Nationwide received the Hand Raiser Award. Sean Vicente, United Way of Central Iowa Board Chair, said celebrating everyone who contributes to making Des Moines a thriving community is a great experience. Being together with the companies and organizations that bring this work to life is such an honor, he said. It's no secret we've experienced some tough times, but I know that with this community behind us, United Way is going to make great strides to improve Central Iowa. Another story from the Insider Notebook, Iowa hospitals chart big dip in margins as operating costs skyrocket, by Joe Gardiaz. Far from being fiscally on the mend from the pandemic, many Iowa hospitals are continuing to experience financial pain into 2022. Iowa hospitals have collectively amassed 101 million dollars in operating losses in the first two months of 2022, according to data compiled by the Iowa Hospital Association. 
The association represents 118 member hospitals in Iowa. We've been hearing from our members that things have gotten troublesome financially, said Chris Mitchell, president of the Iowa Hospital Association. The American Hospital Association recently released a report detailing some of the factors driving higher costs for hospitals nationally. Those include hospital employment is down approximately 100,000 from pre-pandemic levels, according to Bureau of Labor Statistics data. At the same time, labor expenses per patient increased 19.1% through 2021 compared with 2019 levels. Median hospital drug expenses by the end of 2021 were 28.2% higher than pre-pandemic levels through the end of 2019 and 36.9% higher per patient. Overall, supply expenses for hospitals were 15.9% higher by the end of 2021 compared with the end of 2019 and 20.6% higher per patient. The Iowa Hospital Association, along with the American Hospital Association, has been lobbying Congress to extend a moratorium that had temporarily suspended a 2.2% cut to Medicare reimbursements since May 1st, 2020, due to the pandemic. Because the moratorium has not been extended, on April 1st, the Medicare reimbursements to hospitals were reduced nationally by 1% and will revert back to a full 2% reduction on July 1st unless Congress acts. The Iowa Hospital Association estimates that without a continuation of the moratorium, Iowa hospitals will incur an additional $31.3 million in operating losses by the end of 2022. The current operating margin across all Iowa hospitals is averaging a negative 4% which, if investment returns are added in, worsens to about a negative 11% margin, Mitchell said. When you extrapolate that over 12 months, that's a very pro scary proposition, he said. In late 2020, the Iowa Hospital Association conducted a COVID-19 impact study that tallied a statewide loss of $1.25 billion across Iowa hospitals which, after netting out federal relief payments, still came to a net $433 million loss from the outset of the pandemic in March 2020 through the end of that year. Those losses were largely driven by losses in revenue from double-digit declines in outpatient and inpatient surgeries and other procedures. In comparison, the losses in the first quarter of this year for hospitals are driven largely by higher costs. Compared with the first two months of 2021, payroll and benefits expenses for Iowa hospitals have increased by 19.7%, and the cost of supplies has risen by 10.8% year-over-year, according to a summary of the data provided by the IHA. The higher costs are causing a more than 25% increase in operating expense per inpatient stay compared with a year ago. Contract staffing costs for personnel, particularly nurses, has surged as hospitals have brought in out-of-state nurses to fill vacancies by personnel who have left health care. 
Contract nursing staffing costs for Iowa hospitals collectively reached nearly $26.4 million in November 2021, according to the latest data available provided by the Iowa Hospital Association. That figure is $21 million higher than the statewide contract nursing cost of $5.3 million in November 2019, before the pandemic reached the United States. Monthly contract nursing costs increased by 68% from August through November last year. Broadlawn's Medical Center in Des Moines is seeing unprecedented spikes in operating costs, largely driven by contract nursing costs, which can run as high as $200 hourly for an intensive care nurse, said Carl Willems, Broadlawn's chief financial officer. The higher costs have put the hospital $3.5 million over budget for contract labor alone this fiscal year. That prompted Broadlawns to raise salaries across the board by 3% in December to better compete with other local health systems offering incentives. We were humming along kind of normal, I would say, up to August 2021, and then in September we started seeing the increase in COVID numbers, Willems said. Along with it, we started seeing a lot of pressure on the labor side. Here in the metro, for a nurse to jump ship and go to another system or whatever is pretty easy, he said. Staffing shortages primarily hit the nursing positions, but some respiratory therapy, laboratory, and radiology positions were also affected, he said. Between September and February, Broadlawns was operating with its inpatient beds filled to capacity every single day, Willems said, which required contract labor to fill the staffing gaps. Historically, our expenses were pretty stable, and you could really project them pretty well and come in pretty close from a budget standpoint. This year, I've never seen anything like it. We budgeted a 5% increase between last year and this year, and we're hitting about 11%. From a revenue standpoint, our revenues have increased by 4%. So you can tell that combination's not necessarily a good one, he said. While COVID cases have dropped since March, Broadlawns has scaled back expectations for the coming fiscal year in anticipation of potential future COVID surges. We did anticipate some of this in the budget, he said. We typically budgeted around a 5% margin. Next year, the fiscal year begins July 1st, we're anticipating a 1.5% margin. So we kind of have this in our planning, and I feel pretty confident we can deal with it. While there are no specific state-level relief measures on the table, Mitchell said that Governor Kim Reynolds moved to use federal funds provided to the state to send 100 contract nurses and respiratory therapists to hospitals across the state in late December through the surge was, quote, very helpful, and we continue to have conversations with her and her leadership about other potential support or relief for hospitals, end quote. We're looking at a difficult financial proposition, and hospitals, unlike other industries, We don't have a lot of levers to pull here, he said. I mean, for the most part, we get paid what we get paid. And so some of the difficult conversations folks are having around the state is, how do we manage this? 
Do we hire less travelers? Do we think about offering less services? Do we not expand needed services in the community, like behavioral health? We're just hopeful that our friends in Des Moines, in Washington, D.C., understand the worry that hospitals have right now and will help us get through this. Results of Community Health Needs Assessment Released by Michael Crum Nearly 20% of Polk County residents skipped prescription drug doses to save money last year, with more than 15% saying transportation was an obstacle in getting to a doctor's appointment, according to a survey designed to seek solutions that would improve the health of people living in central Iowa. The results of the Community Health Needs Assessment were released on May 4th. The 185-page report is the result of data gathered in 2021 using information from multiple sources based largely on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System and various other public health surveys and customized questions that address gaps in health care. Responses are from Polk, Warren, and Dallas counties. Regional leaders launched the survey to help them develop a vision for an environment that allows all residents to live healthy lives and take responsibility for their own health. The survey was done in conjunction with the Capitol Crossroads Regional Vision Plan, a steering committee that included Broadlawns Medical Center, Mercy One, Unity Point Health Des Moines, the Dallas County Public Health Department, the Polk County Health Department, Warren County Health Services, Mid-Iowa Health Foundation, United Way of Central Iowa, and Every Step. The steering committee awarded a contract to professional research consultants to conduct the assessment, which is required by the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, which requires nonprofit hospitals to conduct a community health needs assessment every three years. It will be used by local health groups to guide organizational policies, priorities, and investments with the efforts being coordinated by the Capital Crossroads Wellness Capital Committee. The survey identified 10 areas of opportunity. Mental health, respiratory disease and COVID-19, nutrition, physical activity and weight, substance abuse, heart disease and stroke, access to health care services, Infant Health and Family Planning, Injury and Violence, Sexual Health, and Cancer. Brittany Applegate, Director of Capital Crossroads, said, The Community Health Needs Assessment gives leaders and organizations the tools and data we need to make decisions and plans that lead to better health for all who live in central Iowa. And that does it for today's reading of the business record for May 20th, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening.